Hello and welcome to Make and Tain, the podcast breaking the stigma and lifting the lid on inspiring people who are making a difference. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by a massive guest. I'm so excited to have on the podcast. She actually doesn't do many. I'm joined by Sunday Times bestseller four times in a row, food creator of the year and gluten-free blogger and recipe creator. Becky itself. And I first got introduced to Becky when I was doing the Algae Free From show. So when I was doing like tours around the UK, every time I went there, Becky had like such a massive queues for like a talks and kind of book signings. And I didn't know who she was at this point. I was like, who is this person? And I think one of the things what come to mind with Becky was like, how she formed like such a close-knit relationship with her audience. So then to kind of sit down with Becky itself for like over an hour and a half to kind of really kind of unpack her story to find out who she is today what has made us successful as well and i think that people feel like they know becky obviously from her sharing ups and downs on like instagram and tiktok but actually listening back to this podcast episode becky excel was so open and honest with me and i think you really get to see the real becky excel and what she's been through and in this episode we kind of unpack mental struggles of social media obviously social media has made played such a massive part in her life in terms of her growing her audience and the community around her but also her experiences what she went through when she had a double mastectomy and we even like touched upon and kind of really delved in like she kind of spoke about feeling like she didn't really have like friends for most of her life and that was like really for me like really eye-opening because I've never really heard many people kind of talk about that and for her to like talk so openly about that and I know she kind of touched upon it on social media but to have on the podcast to really kind of delve into that but also food as well food has played a massive part in her life and um, a relationship with it as well she kind of spoke about having a food disorder when she's gone through university and I think learning about Becky I just I feel like I understand now why she has the audience she has and what has made her so successful so if you do enjoy this podcast make sure to click that subscribe button over 40% of you guys have not clicked that subscribe button so if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or even watching it on YouTube make sure to click that subscribe button it really means a lot to me and the more subscribers the bigger guests I can get on the podcast and if you do want to support the podcast and buy me a coffee I do need a lot of coffee when I'm doing all the editing late at night there's a link in the description if you want to support the podcast and buy me yeah a little coffee anyway with all out the way let's jump into the podcast with Becky Etzel Oh, welcome back to another episode on the Making Same Podcast. So I'm joined by Becky Excel, and honestly, it's incredible <laughs> to have you on because obviously I've been aware of you from kind of the the, the free from food awards, but also the algae free from shows. And you always have such a massive crowd when you're doing like the book signing. So it's incredible to have you on today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's uh it's been a crazy old time doing all those sort of shows and stuff and having so many people come see me it's it's weird it's very very strange you find it a bit surreal yeah yeah because I I was doing one the other day actually and I had like a little girl come and bring me a card and then you get little I find it's the kids it's the kids that really do it for me it's like I have kids that dress up as me for world book day and that is the most that honestly I didn't know that that that, it is crazy it's like do they dye dye the hair pink yeah yeah yeah, or they get they I don't know what they do they get their nails painted they get glasses even though they don't need them and it's like you know, you can have all the success in other elements of stuff. And I know I've been on the telly, I've sold books and stuff, but that kids dressing up as you, beats, that is the pinnacle. I, I cannot say that anything is better than that. That is my, that's the, my favorite thing. So yeah, it, it's just, it is just a very overwhelming, crazy thing, but you know, 
it's, it's that's insane that i was gonna say for the listeners i think obviously within like the gluten but also outside of that they'll be aware but for the listeners who may have not come across you, yourself before would you just like to do like a little introduction yeah i'm terrible at intros oh, really? <laughs> everyone spot, i think yeah. i think everyone is terrible at intros. i did have an intro i was gonna introduce you yeah, I was like, no, I'll, I'll give some it size bestseller like, four times yeah, over but no, I'll, I'll let you i'll give it a go so um i'm becky and i basically just started creating gluten-free recipes about 10 years ago I've been gluten-free for 14 years um and my whole thing is sort of that it, everything's just grown from then and currently I guess I would class myself as like a Sunday Times best-selling author which I can't I, I prefer to just that say author. Weird, it, yeah. it sounds really odd um and yeah I just like to help people not miss out on eating the foods that they enjoy and it's sort of just Every, I, I think I'm a bit of everything. So I'm not one thing or another thing. I'm just this girl who has started making recipes due to frustration. And then other people have just found me. And that, Along the way, and yeah. that, that's my kind of, that's how everything sort of happened. And it's never, nothing's really ever been planned. It's just like everything started as a hobby. Has it been quite organic then, like your growth? Because obviously you've got 300,000 followers now on yeah. Instagram. When you kind of look back, has it been... Was it, there like, was there a moment where it just it just really took no, off? No, so I find lots of people, especially there's been a lot of people on social media who, when lockdown happened, they seem to just go really quickly and get really loads of followers over like a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. But like for me, it's been like I've been doing it ten years, and it's been kind of slow, and it's it's just been this sort of gradual, gradual sort of curve, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's it's just been a lot of hard work, and I think a lot of people who started doing what I did at the same time as me, maybe they've kind of dropped off because it's it's blooming hard when you sort of put loads of content out there and you make stuff and you put photos out there and no one likes them really. Um, and it's so easy to just be like, oh, I give up. I give up. And yeah, like, and yeah. I think that's what loads of people do. And that, I think that's one of the reasons that I've been able to succeed in what I do because other people just were like, oh. Because I, I get it. I get it. It's hard, isn't it? When, when you do stuff, I'm yeah. sure when you started doing the podcast at the very beginning, you, you're like, oh, it's going to be it's great. Like, it's and like then, starting with zero again. Yeah. And, and it can be quite daunting as well, you know, when you don't have like mm. a, an audience and you're trying to like yeah. find yourself or kind of find well, it's, your it's just a worry. You kind of think, oh, you know, you you believe in it because you have to believe in it mm. to do it. But then you're like, well, maybe you, you have these expectations and stuff and then it doesn't always go to plan at first, but you just have to keep going. So for me, it has been a really sort of slow but enjoyable sort of thing. And it's just once I got into that, mindset of never giving up on it I just never did and it was just like oh well you know it's not doing that well oh it's doing a little bit better and you get these sort of highs and lows and I think I think that's what sort of made it do as well as it has and made people sort of feel like they know me is because I've been doing it so long they've they've come along on that journey some people some people have come a bit later but then they feel part of sort of this community of people if you see what I mean yeah so. to kind of touch upon like your audience because mm -hmm. I think what really surprised me, obviously, I kind of saw like the kind of the audience and community you've you've gathered over the last ten years. Yeah. But then, me obviously not being in that gluten space, it was the first time I kind of got introduced to yourself mm. and then kind of watching your content. And you you had this like such an open and kind of honest relationship as well throughout yeah. your whole kind of life experience. Have you, have you always been that from from a young age, or is that something which has just um. happened later on? I don't, I don't think I always have been very open. I think I, I've been quite, growing up, I was probably actually quite the opposite. I was quite closed. And like, if I had problems like at school or just, you know, 
growing up as a, a teenage girl yeah. and stuff, all those things, I would keep everything very much to myself. Like I wouldn't necessarily always even tell my mom or my parents about stuff. Um, and I think it just got to this point where I was like, I think I'd done it for so long. Yeah. And I'd just been very sort of, cause I'm, I'm quite an introverted sort of person. So I never really shout about things too much. And I'm never like, I don't know, I've always been a bit more like that. And then I think I just got fed up of being like that. And yeah. then at some point I was just like, right, I'm just gonna be honest and open. It's like some of the first things that I started being really honest about was sort of all my stomach issues and like, you know, talking very openly about diarrhea and constipation yeah. stuff. And I remember- Would it always be like in your Instagram stories? Is that how- Yeah, so- Or would I've, it be like- I, I've, yeah. I've got all different sort of social things. So one of my first things that I found that I was very open with and I had quite a good community, which I've kind of slowed down a bit and not, I've just not got enough time, but was my YouTube. So I used to do um, like IBS diaries on YouTube sort of every week. And I would just tell it how it was and say how my stomach was. And I found that a lot of people came back like, oh my God, I've never- heard anyone say this before in that way in yeah. that way and just be really really open about you know talking about gas and all this stuff that yeah, people yeah, don't yeah. want it people feel really awkward um it's so funny you say that because when i have like other i had morgan on the podcast the other day oh she like, she's great she's like, like so open and she's yeah. open to like gas and it's great because obviously like, i think it's a bit of like a taboo and some people Completely. don't always feel comfortable kind of talking yeah about that. well saying that when i first did one of my first youtube videos where i was talking really openly about that um, at the time I was living in Manchester um, and my mum watched it and she texted me and was like, take that video down. You should not be talking like that. Oh, like, really? like thought it was a bit sort of, you know, people don't want to be hearing about your bowel habits and stuff. And it, and that sort of, I think that was a point that really actually motivated me to keep going with it. Cause I was like, well, actually, you know, that's what everyone kind of thinks, but that's not how it should be because yeah. we all to go to the toilet. We all have these issues. Most people who follow me have some sort of issue. That's the reason they follow me. Um, and I just want to make it so that people feel like, like less no, alone. Like normalize it. Yeah, normalize yeah, yeah. it and make things just seem it's okay to talk about it. Or even if you don't want to talk about it, I'm there for you to listen to and just feel like, oh, at least it's not just me. Because so many things like that, like, I think a lot of things that I talk about are generally things that people don't always want to talk about yeah. and I just want to help people have you been like that from day one as soon as you started the, the blog? um I guess so as soon as I started talking a bit more because initially the very first things I was doing on the blog were just literally going to the supermarket picking up a product and being like oh here's some gluten-free jam tarts I think they're nice um and then I was doing a few recipes but as soon as I started talking openly about myself mm. it was always very much being open, being honest about yeah, because you get like a personal connection. They feel like mm. they know you, and, and yeah. I think, well, we we spoke earlier on the phone yesterday, yeah. and I think I feel like you've always probably feel like because they've been on this journey with you for so long now, mm. they've probably they've been there for everything you've kind of been through. Yeah, I mean, like there's been so many ups and downs through what I've sort of been through, and that you know I've had things along the way. Like very early on when I started the blog, I was in a point where I was struggling with an eating disorder. I didn't mention it at the time then because I didn't feel comfortable. But then a few years later, I opened up more about that to everyone and it made people feel more connected with me and stuff. And then like, there's been so many things since then. And I feel like, I don't know, it's just, it's just a really, I, I think if anyone is ever thinking of doing kind of the thing that I do and blogging or starting social media accounts, I think the biggest thing is always just to be super open and be yourself. Because yeah. I... 
that's one thing that I found throughout my whole life. Because you can put it on for yeah. 10 years as no, well. No, exactly. If you, put, if you I, put on this like personality. And when I, when it, I started, someone close to me said it and I don't yeah. use it against him or whatever, but he was like, oh yeah, but you don't have like the biggest personality, but I don't think you need the biggest you personality. You just need to be yourself. Yeah, right? yeah. I, th- I think people really value that and they just value seeing someone who's kind of like them. You don't need yeah. to be this sort of super shouty in your face <laughs> kind there, of person because yeah, yeah. that's not what most people are like. There are people like that. But I think people who like to watch people online and see stuff generally aren't always those sort of people. They're people looking for other people like them. They might not have as many friends. They might not have as many this or that and they just want to, relate to someone about something so that's i've yeah i've just been doing it for so long and i've just i i can only be myself yeah that's what i mean and it's been incredible can we talk about your relationship with food from when you was younger Mm. have you always had a good relationship with food or how's that kind of Um, been for you i mean growing up i loved food then i became a really fussy eater about i don't know when i was like at primary school i was like one of these kids who wouldn't eat the skin on jacket potato oh, really? with the the skin on um custard when we used to have school dinners we'd have apple crumble and custard I wouldn't have the skin on the custard and I wouldn't eat the apple I'd just eat the crumble um because I was just like I don't yeah, want fruit I don't want this I didn't like I only ate carrots and peas so I I was very kind of fussy and then gradually I grew to be less fussy and just enjoying my food um and then it kind of I can't in- entirely tell what happened or why. And this is one of the things that was quite kind of difficult when I had my eating disorder, um, that usually people sort of say, oh, you know, if you've got an eating disorder, there must be a, there must be a, a reason like, like childhood trauma like or a this. Trigger point. Yeah. Some yeah, sort yeah. Of tr- and it was like, for me, um, you know, I, I was really ill. I had, I was diagnosed with anorexia. I was in a, like a day unit where I went sort oh, of wow. every single day for weeks. Um, and I'd have all these sort of, classes or sessions with counselors and psychotherapists and they often would just sit there and ask me like you know you must have had there must have been something that your your dad said or your mum said or there was an issue somewhere and it was like no there wasn't there was no there was no there was no there was just like a lot of different things like at one point I remember growing up my dad wasn't very well and I used food as sort of a a tool to overcome that when he was in hospital and I was at home by myself and I just remember eating tons and tons and tons of biscuits and just being like quite obsessive over things like that and I think I then started to see it as an emotional kind of yeah yeah, Yeah. and it, it, it kind of started from there but then I started to really struggle a lot with food when I started university and then again that was when I wasn't very happy so I was using food as sort of a because I, I kind of saw that you you really got into like fitness and you, yeah. was, and you was going all the time. I, I was just wondering, was that maybe a trigger point? Because obviously you, you're working out all the time. and, and I feel like there, there was definitely something in that. But, you know, growing up, I was a really sporty kid. So okay. I was someone who I played tennis like multiple times a week. I was like the sporty kid at school, like who was the captain of all the teams. I won the 100 meters all the time. Mm. Like I was that. I was that girl who was known as the sporty girl. Um, And so I always loved my sport and I always loved stuff. And as soon as I was allowed to go to the gym, like I think at 14, they had like some junior gym membership. I did that and stuff and I got really into it. But then it did, I don't know why, but it suddenly got a bit obsessive and it got a bit too much. Have you got addictive personality, do you think? I think, yes. I think in a way. um, And I, I think the whole sort of, I've, 
I've been watching a lot of stuff on telly recently where like there was a documentary with um, Matt Willis with about his sort of um, drug addiction. I think it was a drug addiction sort okay. of thing that he had. Um, and I was watching that and I, what, I listened to things that people like Russell Brand have done and stuff as well. All these people who are, are proper addicts. And I then, and I feel bad saying it because I'm like, well, that, that's really serious. That's a drug addiction. But so many of the behaviors that then came about as part of my eating disorder, I relate so much to those people in terms of certain things that you do when you're kind of addicted to something, like you're really deceitful, you hide stuff, you mm. do things in weird ways, you don't let people into your life and you, you're really sneaky. Yeah. All those sort of things I sort of did. And I, and I, I feel, I always feel just like, it's kind of odd to say it because it's like this person's, I don't know, been using cocaine or something yeah. like that. Do you know what I mean? These really sort of serious things. And then when it comes to so something- So it feels weird, that kind yeah, of linking it's it like, to like, it, yeah. It's, it's because like, you know, with an eating disorder, some of the stuff I was doing, like I would sneak off because I, I would not eat for like quite a few days. And then I would suddenly sneak in and grab some really bizarre food and just eat really, honestly, yeah. the weirdest things in the world I would eat. Um, and I would just be really, really sneaky about it. And it's because it's food. I don't think it's thought of in such a, kind of serious way as drugs yeah, for instance yeah, but yeah. but at the same time it in a way i feel like not that i want to compare it but it kind of makes it harder because food is just everywhere food is around you, you have to eat yeah. to live so whereas like if someone's like an alcoholic what they need to do is they need to stop drinking alcohol and they can never drink it again i couldn't stop food because then i wouldn't be here so yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of like a yeah it it's kind of a how did you overcome that did did it take time or did it take years it, it wasn't like a overnight yeah so anything. i feel like it started but i didn't realize it started in about 2010 um and then it just progressively got worse and i didn't really realize what was happening um and then by about 2013 i i sought help like i seeked out help so it took a few years for me to even do Actually anything it, yeah. yeah because i just I, I was just like happy. Like I was going to the gym for sort of three hours in the morning, sometimes three hours in the evening. I was doing really excessive stuff like that. And just, I don't know, I was just eating weirdly and stuff. But when you say you was going for so long, was you, was you trying to escape something at the time? Well, I remember, so my whole university experience was very strange. So I went to, I went to uni in Manchester for a year, then I dropped out. And then I went to uni in Brighton at the University of Sussex for a year. Um, and dropped out. And when I was at Sussex, I had a really un, the worst experience of all where I didn't have anyone, like no, no sort of friends. I was in weird accommodation. Um, and I was like, so unhappy that I said to, I remember literally looking in the mirror and saying to myself, right, I'm not going to have a good time here. I'm not going to have the proper uni experience. Let's just get myself into the best shape of my life. Mm. And I always remember saying that. It's interesting you say that because yeah. I had the same Similar experience when I went on placement year. I went uh -huh. to Amsterdam. I was out yeah. in my comfort zone for a year. Yeah, yeah. And I got there and just hated it. Like, mm. hated the job. Like, the people yeah. wasn't particularly nice to me at the time. And my escape at the time was, like, going to the gym every day after yeah. work. And that's what got me through yeah. that See, whole experience. I get, also, I my friends came there later on. But, like, at the time, like, that was my escape. Yeah, well, I think, I think with things like that, people often think, like, with uni, with, you know, doing a placement in Amsterdam and stuff everyone thinks it's it's amazing and how lucky you are and you're gonna have so much fun but it's not always quite as it seems and I think there's yeah. so many people like since I've told people you know how I dropped out of uni a few times and stuff 
I've heard so many other people go, oh, actually, I, I did too. Or I had a really crappy university experience. And everyone just thinks it's what you see on social media. Mm. And it's all this really fun and everyone's having a great time. But actually, there's a lot of people who aren't really having the best time in the world either. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was a... Uh, it was during that second year at university that I just said to myself, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. I just went to the gym con constantly. I really limited what I was eating. I'd eat very tiny amounts of food. And then because of that, a few days later, all you could think when you don't eat much, all you can think about is food. And then, the, and then a few days later, I'd be like gorging on stuff. Yeah. And then I'd be going to the gym again and I'd feel upset. And I was, it, that was the point I think where um, it got really bad um, and then in terms of it getting better, it just, it was after I started seeing sort of, I, I went to see therapists and stuff like my dad sorted me out privately initially. And then I got to see someone on the NHS and some of those things helped. Some of them didn't help. So what's your relationship with life therapy? Cause I've, I've done mm. it and I feel like it for me, it didn't really help. But yeah. then I had a friend on, uh, on the podcast last weekend and the episode's not out yet, but we was kind of saying like, trying to find the right therapist is actually really it's, hard, but no one ever kind of talks about that. Yeah, like for me, there were certain people I spoke to that I think actually did make me think and they said the right sort of things. And for me, I needed someone who was proper, like almost like a bit nasty to me and put me straight and was like, you know, you're doing this. Oh my God, this is exactly the same yeah. conversation was like, sometimes they're like the too nice yeah. and they don't like tell you. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I struggled like when I was at this unit, at this eating disorder unit. Firstly, one of the issues was that I was surrounded by other people who would exactly like me. So you just, you kind of copy each other. You're like, oh, there's a there's something that they do that I haven't done before. And it's like, you, you copy bad habits and you get even worse. But then also I found that a lot, this was mainly, it was like the private therapists were more nasty to me which helped and then the nhs ones i found they were all just really softly spoken and like come on you you'll you'll be all right yeah, yeah and it's just like it just didn't it didn't work mm. for me it was just like i just couldn't i couldn't it was just useless really yeah so um so yeah i i find that for me i think i wouldn't say i don't know i wouldn't sound too smart for therapy but sometimes i th i think a yeah. lot and i think too much and i'm like I, th I know what they're trying to do and they're trying to say, and I'm just like, I get past it. And I'm just like, I don't understand how you telling me to think about this in this certain way will make me think about yeah, things differently. I, I tried CBT and I felt like that didn't work. Like yeah. some of the tools like, like write yeah. your worries down. And I, and I think I that's, like, yeah, I think I mean, that's the problem. Everyone, I think yeah. it's the problem with mental health generally yeah. is that, and why like so many people have bad mental health is because there's these sort of ways and roots that, um, psychologists and therapists are supposed to help you and they sort of have these things that obviously they have to learn ways to help but it's not going to help everyone because we're all really different and mm. um, you know what helps you is not going to help me which is not going to help the next person and then a therapist might have a really good experience helping someone with something and then they're like oh I'll try that with the next one but that next person's a completely different human but, being yeah. so yeah for me it's it's always been something that when I've gone through points in my life that I've thought actually maybe I do I would like to speak to someone. I'm always like, oh, maybe I will, but then I, I never get around to it because I'm just yeah. like, oh, it's not going to help. It's not, yeah. And it, it is about finding the right sort of person. And for me, I I, I never have the time to. I was going to ask like, what's your relationship then with like social media? Because it plays such a big part of your life in terms mm. of like constantly kind of creating content. And even yeah. I find it like a bit overwhelming. Like it's a bit of like, I don't know, it's, it's a game in some ways. And it's, 
I have, I definitely have a love hate relationship with it. I love it for what it's allowed me to do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's changed my whole entire life. My, my job, my, everything I do is focused on that, but equally there's a, it's probably not even 50 50 it's more that I dislike it and I wish that it could be different I don't like how everything somehow feels somewhat competitive and mm. it's it's not even competitive with other people it's like with yourself and but then there's comparison and you sort of see other people doing well and then you're not doing well and so then, even like the whole algorithm like you put you put so much you, effort into something and then if it's the algorithm doesn't yeah, think it's good or whatever or the watch time is low then it, it's so frustrating how like looking back at yourself yeah, yeah because you, you you'll make something and you know that it's perfect for your audience you know mm. that everyone well not everyone but a good percentage of people who follow you would really like what you've created and then you look at how many people it's been served to and you're like well you know how it's, it's just not cool mm. and I've spoken to people at like the social media platforms about it and they're like well you're just probably not putting out what your audience want and it's like but I know that they like it and I know mm. that they want it and when I speak to them about it they're like oh yeah I really like that but I, don't, I never see your stuff yeah. and it's just like well it's really frustrating, and yeah. it's it it feels like social media almost like holds us all hostage mm. and it's like it makes us feel like, like they they almost have control over us, and I wish they didn't because are you on TikTok as well. Yeah, but I TikTok's a TikTok's a joke. Like I I I started a TikTok, it didn't do much. Then it suddenly started growing, and over like um, you know a few months or so, or a few weeks, it, I got it up to about it's on. I think it's on about two hundred thirty k. Oh wow! So it's on that, but it's been on that for like a year. And it just doesn't grow. And and whatever I post, I try different things. I do this, I do that. It's like, oh, every single one, oh, it's a thousand views. Oh, it's good. It's got 6,000 views today. It's like, come on, surely... It so to- it's such a difficult... I've I'm i been using more for like the podcast clips and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And like some... I say they do well. They pop, no, they don't really. Yeah, like, they all get like less than a thousand. I mean, the odd one will get five or 10,000. Yeah. But like... But I just don't know. I don't know how yeah. like... They decide which ones will do better and which ones don't. I think it's like if one, you put one up and it does really well straight away, like it gets more than you usually do, then it will push it out to more people. But it's like sometimes you need to give it, just give us a chance, you know? Yeah. We're, we're just trying hard. We, especially with what we do, all we're doing is trying to do stuff that raises awareness and creates, you know, like positivity for people, makes people feel like they've got a place and stuff with you know there should be a metric if yeah. it's like raising awareness it yeah, should whereas, like bump it up you know a there, bit, then yeah. there's like dancing cats and dogs and stuff and it's like oh yeah. that's got a million views it's like well i guess i guess yeah. it maybe help. put some cats in your videos yeah um, i should i'll get my dog dancing so, or something yeah, <laughs> is it peggy peggy, peggy the dog yeah here. oh peggy Miss i love to talk about as well like you, you've been like i think what really surprised me because I, I obviously before the kind of the algae shows i wasn't obviously aware of you because obviously yeah. i'm I don't follow kind of well it's, it's exactly the same with me thing, it's, yeah. it's it's like that whole thing that I I've obviously been doing the allergy shows for ages but everything in my whole journey up until relatively recently has been really focused on just the whole gluten-free thing and then someone like you came about at the allergy and free from show and I was like oh my god there's this whole other world yeah. and I, I guess you've probably <laughs> oh felt my the god, same yeah honestly like since having like yourself on and, and, and Morgan and also like Phil hates gluten yeah like 
I've just like been opened up this whole world of like gluten. And I, honestly, even like Mark, who owns like the niche restaurant oh, yeah, in Islington, yeah. like it's just really opened up my horizon. And it's, it feels really exciting. I'm like, yeah, it's part like of these, a new whole, these whole now. new world. And but... even like the followers, like even like people with um, celiac or gluten follow me now, which I find bizarre because yeah, I yeah. don't do that content. But no. obviously, I have you guys. But that's the thing. There's, 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 there's a whole, there is a massive link between it and how it's not the literal link of like what we do but there's overlap and especially with how things can make you feel mentally and stuff and how you can feel left out of situations and the social side of allergies the social side of celiac disease all these things similar, it's, yeah. it's very similar and I think that's what sort of brings it all together yeah no it's so. been been incredible I think the thing what surprised me is like you you've been obviously very open and you you kind of spoke about obviously your friendships and yeah yeah the response you got to that can we mm. talk about that because you you kind of you kind of spoke about obviously you've not really had any close friends. Is that, yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So I guess like when I was at primary school, loads and loads of friends had a really good time. Secondary school, probably up until about year nine, which I think a lot of people can probably relate to that when you get to that point where people are starting to kind of grow up or want to grow up that little bit yeah. quicker. And there's like, you know, going out and having relationships with people and suddenly alcohol becomes a thing that people want to do and people want to be cool and yeah, they want to seem like the cool like person. Age, yeah, yeah. Then that's when things sort of started to go wrong for me. And I feel like, um, like I said earlier, I can only be myself. Like I literally can't change my personality. And I think a lot of people, when they get to that age, they sort of almost fake it a little bit and they fake themselves and they try and be, they try and be part of a group or something definitely at that age they, they, they try adapt don't yeah they, and, and that, that's fine and I, that I, I i get it i completely get it because i feel at the time i felt like why can't i just do that why can't i start caring about this or that and i just couldn't do it so at that point i started to like feel like i was losing friends and stuff and i felt very much like i was just on the edge of of circles and like i was i just always remember like at the school prom like sort of you know i got myself dressed up all nice and me and one other girl were sort of all we were with all the friends that we used to be really close with but and everyone was dancing and we were sort of trying to edge your head into yeah. this circle of everyone dancing but sort of you know they were just looking away and you were sort of just peering around the corner um and it just started to feel really rubbish and it never really got any better from there onwards like I think I didn't have the best experiences at university. And when you starting at uni and stopping and starting and stopping, you just kind of. That's getting to the well, Yeah. Well, so yeah, initially at Manchester, I had like a nice group of friends in my flat. Um, but then that obviously when I started not being very happy, I was, I didn't go out as much and then I didn't really speak to them. And then, so they, they went and then I, so I didn't have my, I didn't have any school friends really, which a lot of people have, up until like when they're at uni they might be talking still to school friends they might still have them like now mm. um then didn't have any from my first uni second uni didn't make any friendships and anything and I think the whole eating disorder stuff at the same time played a part in that because I didn't want to go out and eat with people um equally because I couldn't have gluten yeah. um I couldn't that kind of played a part as well because I couldn't hang out with people and just go to the restaurants that they were going to because there were literally back then like no options whatsoever um and then I finally finished up uni by going to Essex because it was close to where I lived and stuff. Um, and I think because it was so close to where I lived and my eating sort was kind of getting really bad as well at that point, I didn't really, I didn't hardly even try. I tried a little bit. I went to some sort of 
netball trials and tennis trials and tried to just yeah. engage in some way, but I never really found a place. Um, and that was, that was really hard at the time. I was going to say that must be quite hard if you, if yeah. you felt like you've always been on this kind of the outer circle yeah. and, and not knowing and I mean, why you're not in that. It, kind of, yeah, it was, yeah, it was weird. And I mean, the, throughout that whole time, because I've been with my boyfriend, Mark, since 2009. So basically my whole university from that point, from being an adult onwards, I've always been with him. And people always say, well, at least you have him. But it's different. Do you know what I mean? Like we obviously get on and we are best friends and we do everything together. But there's this thing that you just want to have some female friends who you can do those things that you see other girls doing, you know? And I never had that and I still haven't had that where, you know, I've... I'm there. There's obviously certain discussions where like you don't want it to have it your partner no, sometimes. Exactly. And I get the same with my girlfriend. There's certain topics like Yeah, you just don't want it. Yeah. And it's it's like, you know, I'm 32, still haven't been on like a hen do or uh, a girl's holiday, all these sort of things. And again, social media plays this massive role in making you feel a bit rubbish about it. Sort of, you know, you you go on there and you see all these pictures of groups of girls having all these fun times and doing all these things. And that used to really get to me. It doesn't so much now, I'm not too bothered. But especially in my 20s, I was just like, oh, my God, you know, why can't I just have people who I can do these things with? Um, and then what I found is that after uni, I was like that then my eating sort of got horrendous. So I sort of was quite set back from everything for quite a while. Um, and then I started getting some jobs. So I worked in marketing, PR, sort of food and drink PR and stuff for a little while. Um and again, I don't know what it was, but I never made any friends with my work colleagues. And like, it would be the case that everyone else seemed to be friends and I'd just be not. And I would felt, I always felt like I was just on the edge and I don't know why that was. I just didn't, I guess you don't gel with everyone. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And it was just- It's hard sometimes find, trying to find the right clicks. I yeah. mean, even like my work companies is only, I've worked at four different companies in London. There's probably yeah. only two people kind of yeah, staying exactly. in by it. So it-, it it's difficult in it like to, yeah. to find the right people or people you feel like you're on the same level completely like, yeah. and and you kind of just see everyone else again looking like they're having a great time but probably some people are standing there in a in a group of work colleagues looking like they're having fun but they're probably not and they're probably thinking i just want to go home but i think like i i know people who have got loads of friends but yeah I know that they don't have many close friends yeah and i think and there's a girl i don't i don't want to obviously <laughs> say her name but like she had like so many groups of friends. Yeah. But I, I knew deep down if shit hit the fan, would she have many close friends? Yeah. And, and, it, and it's very hard. Like I, I don't, mm. I don't have a massive group of friends, but I do have like people like close friends. I yeah. Can kind of well, that's what, that's what you want. I've, fall back on that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've come to realize that. And then for me, once I sort of stopped all these jobs, like I think it was 2017, I'd started doing this, this full time. Um, at that point, then I started getting to know a few more people in the sort of gluten-free space, yeah. which is quite nice. Um, but then I, I kind of found that even that I didn't kind of entirely fit in. And I think it becomes this thing where you're all kind of got this one aim of doing really well. And there's there becomes sort of comparison things and stuff. And then if I was doing quite well it could make other people not feel so good. And if other people were doing well, it make me feel not so good. Now, now I've, I'm a bit older. I, I don't see that as a thing. And I've, mm. but I feel like when you're a little bit younger, you sort of all compare and it's all, you're, yeah, it's almost like, yeah. it's almost like school, like when you're at school and you all get a bit competitive with each other and it seems so silly. And so yeah. I, 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 I struggled a little bit even with that. Um, and it, it does, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you because you're like the whole time. I was going to ask as well, with, with having like, 
obviously you've got a massive audience yeah, which yeah. You've, you've built over the do you think social media's played a part like obviously you had people you could speak to there yeah because you've had that is a part of you which feels like i've not 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 i'm not saying you've not made an effort but no, like no. because you've had social media yeah. there the whole time i think is, is i think so a part I, in it, I think maybe? yeah because like for instance i've got like a a really amazing like facebook group yeah like that, that I, I only set up a few years ago but it's like nearly got forty thousand people in it and all those people we like i'm in it every single day chatting mm. to people and people talk to me like like they really well they do they know they you, know yeah. me and so you kind of can have those discussions and chats and stuff about life with people like that so you kind of don't almost feel like you do need those people super close to you like as in literally that you know and you you give a hug to like that live down the road yeah um and I definitely have come to realize that over the last few years that I always thought that I needed the friends that lived next door and lived up the street and I wanted all those people close to me. But I've come to realize you, you really don't need that. And you can have friends just because they're online friends doesn't mean that they're not friends. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that that was something that I used to think. And I think it's kind of an an old sort of generational thing that, you know, previous generations wouldn't, if, if you said to like, like I say to my mum, oh, you know, I've got friends and they're just like online. She'd be like, well, are they safe? Who are they? Do you yeah, know? And then yeah, they, they, that, they yeah. think that they were like a, an old man or something yeah. that was like pretending, which I get that you're trying to be safe, but I think things have moved on a little bit now. And there's so many more people online. Yeah. Um, and like for me, over the last like year or so, I've actually got quite close to quite a lot of not gluten-free food creators, but just general food creators online. Um, we're, we all kind of do all different things. And that's been really nice because there's no there's no competitiveness between us. That's we're good. all supporting yeah. each other. We're, lots of us have books out and we're all posting about each other's books. We're all having fun. We go out for drinks and it's been the the most like crazy thing that it's taken all this time from the age of like when everything went a bit crap for me at 13 and I didn't seem to have any friends up from then onwards. It's taken all the way to age 32, 31 where suddenly I feel like I could say I do have friends. Amazing. And it's like, yeah. I, I feel like it's... I, I always said when I was trying to give advice to people, when I was talking about friendship, I was like, you know, one day you might get friends, one day you might lose your friends and stuff. And I'm sort of saying it in this way of just, you know, like you try and give general advice and pretend that you think these things are going to happen, but deep down you never do. But then it has happened for me. And it's and it just shows that sometimes you just have to, when when you least expect friends to come about, they actually do. And that it's it's yeah. been really, really nice to just have people that, you know, I only see them handful of times each year really like just at random events but just to have those people and that you can just message them every so often and just yeah. see what they're up to even if they're doing and that's amazing it's, it's been yeah. great it's been it's it's kind of changed my whole perspective on everything and just made me feel like like part of something yeah. again which I, I just haven't had and I think it's I think it's amazing to be so open mm. and kind of transparent yeah. about that as well and I think how was that kind of initial response when you kind of spoke about it on your it was story? it was I think a lot of people were there was there was two sort of forms of people some people were shocked and they were like oh my god don't be silly you must have friends don't you know obviously everyone has I was friends probably part so, yeah. of that group. I, yeah. was, I, I was a bit shocked <laughs> yeah, if I was honest, yeah. and I, I think you know I guess you see someone online and stuff and you sort of just, you, you make assumptions about them and you just assume that they would and they seem quite happy and they're always smiley and everything. And you think, well, obviously they must have friends. Yeah. And then um, there was a lot of, then there was probably a bigger percentage of people who were like, me too. 
and I don't have like loads of people said to me like oh my god I thought I was the only person who doesn't have friends and I sit on my own at home all day seeing all these other people that I know having fun and you know I haven't ever done this I've never done that and it was really um it was kind of upsetting hearing some of these stories that people were giving to me but equally just nice to be able to tell these people that they're not the only one and there's lots of people just like them like me but also I was able to say look I've spoken to hundreds of people now and you're not the only person um and I yeah I just think it was it was a really I didn't really know what the response would be I don't really know why I did it but I was gonna say that yeah was was there a point where you're like oh like maybe I just want to get this off my chest yeah I, I, share it. I feel like just because I've been so open and like the whole time yeah, yeah I just felt like it, it doesn't feel like a weird thing I imagine no. if you've been open from day one why would it feel weird yeah exactly so that, yeah. so yeah it just it just came out and it and it really hit a chord with a lot of people and um yeah I've, I've I'm just really happy that I did even though it's like I was saying to you yesterday um it's probably the thing that's given I've had the most response about ever like you'd think you know I've been making gluten-free recipes for 10 years and stuff and everyone knows me for that but the thing that people really sort of get into and really message me about even now they'll message me knowing that I'm in a better place but they'll they'll tell me how they're feeling and what mm. what's asking for some degree of personal sort of advice and stuff and I I find it quite tricky sometimes because I feel with mine being food allergies yeah yeah if people have had a really bad experience mm. like they would like rant to me about it and it'll yeah. be it'll be a lot it'll be a massive message it'll yeah be really long yeah. But then it's difficult in in my sense because mm. like, I don't know how to word this. It's like, I could be having the best day and then someone's using me as a, like a, it's, a soundboard. And, yeah. it, and, and, and they don't want, usually they don't even want a response. It isn't like, what do you... No, because at the is, end of it, sometimes people will say, I don't even know why I, why I wrote this, but yeah. I just needed to get it off my chest. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. and I think it's because like, maybe they don't have like a friend who has an allergy, so they yeah. wouldn't relate to, but then for me, I find that quite difficult. Yeah. It's like, because look, like I've got my own struggles as well. Yeah, I think, it I think firstly, tricky, yeah. it's like, it's difficult because you don't really know what to say back um, to someone. Like, because firstly, there are certain things that you can't really say back because we're not, professionals and stuff and we've oh, only yeah, got this that, yeah. so so it's like this awkward sort of balance um and then secondly it's like when someone writes so much it's really overwhelming and like I want to be able to sit and read all of these messages constantly and stuff but there's only so many hours in a day and if you spend like all your time you could literally spend all your time Do you reply to what the dms you get I mean imagine I, re I replied so many I replied but, yeah. to uh, I love, I focus a lot on my Facebook group and I've kind of said to people, if you want to get proper so messages and response back. So I, every message I get on my Facebook group, I'll reply to every single one. Like I'm, it's completely personal and I do that and it takes over my day and takes over my life. And I kind of love it, but I kind of just get exhausted. I completely get it. Like why you have such a strong connection with yeah. your audience. Cause I think. It's, it's crazy when I when I, when I when I go to the shows and I see the amount of people which go there just to see yourself and or get a signed book. It's, but then when I I've done my research and dig deep and yeah. I saw you that you reply back to a lot of messages, it, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah, really, yeah, I just I just can't. And people say to me all the time, they're like, "Oh, you know, you need to you need to get someone else to help you reply to them and stuff." But it's it's a really difficult thing to yeah. allow someone to have my voice, and yeah. I I can't. What what it's if like, they say something that isn't right? What if 
you know, it 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 just feels wrong mm. that it's me, and I always want it to be that way. And I, you are the brand, yeah. yeah and yeah. I don't know how it will be going forward because, like, at some point, if if things are as successful as I really wish and hope they could be, and things grow even more, then it it could get to the point where it's literally impossible. I feel like you, honestly, it's incredible. I feel like you've achieved so much already. Obviously, being mm. like Sunday Times bestselling author four times. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a uh, I mean, what else is obviously next for you as well? Do you, do you have like um, what what is the next thing for well, kind of Becky itself? It's it's hard to it's hard to say because obviously I feel like the books were always like it wasn't even a dream. I never expected I would ever be able to write a book. I thought that was just something that famous people did and stuff. Okay. And then when I got to write books, that was crazy. And now I'm you know I've written a fifth book that's coming out in a few months' time, um, and that's going to be really exciting for that to come out and then so so I kind of feel like I've ticked books but I'm definitely wanting I'd love to write more books mm. um because they just seem to be so useful for people and I that's what I really like from it has it been like a blueprint for you I think of Joe Wicks when I, yeah. when I think of like the books and then how he's branched off yeah do you have like a bit of a blueprint of like yeah what I, you following? well I think I think for me so I've I'd really like to do more stuff in the media um so in a couple of ways like for me the I love like I've done I think I've done five uh TV appearances now on Steph's Pat Lunch on Channel 4 um doing cooking and stuff and I've really really enjoyed that and so I'd love to do more stuff like that on telly um dream would be to have my own show or something but that you know that's that's some sort of dream up here that you never know it's probably never going to happen um and then my other thing is a really big thing for me is I really want to just a bit like how Jamie Oliver has done with school dinners over the years. I really, I speak to so many parents every single day, literally, uh, who tell me that their their daughter or son is celiac or has some, you know, even with other allergies and intolerances and stuff as well. And they have a really bad experience at school with school dinners, with uh, food tech classes. And I kind of want to do something that makes everything more inclusive at schools and also at hospitals I'd, I'd like to be this sort of pioneer yeah. that goes around and does it but it's so hard to know even where to start because yeah. like it's it's almost like starting again from zero and it's like oh I need to probably speak to just one hospital or one school see how it goes do something yeah. and then have to take it all the way up and that's when I've got so much else on it's like it's just super overwhelming but that that would be my that's my main sort of That'd thing yeah. yeah that I just love to be able to help more people and I just can't I I never had any sort of issues with what I could and couldn't eat when I was at school um so when I hear like people say oh my my seven-year-old boy he can't eat with his friends at school oh he's made to sit on a separate table and he has to bring packed lunch and they're all having a nice thing or um my daughter wants to do food tech at GCSE and she's not allowed because they don't allow people who are gluten-free to do it it's, it's it feels almost like discrimination to me and I feel like in a way I don't think that should be allowed and I think everyone should be able to do whatever they want to do um and I just love to be able to sort of make people realize who don't have intolerances celiac disease allergies or anything that you know there are people who exist who are missing out on stuff and are kind of discriminated against I get that yeah and it's just I just want to be able to help them you know yeah I was going to ask as well like in in terms of like being like a full-time like content creator now what does your kind of day-to-day look like for, Ooh, for you? Day like to a day, day in the life. Day in the life. Um, 
it's a very long day. Oh, really? Yeah. So I probably I probably get up about eight. Um, want to get up at six or seven. My alarm snoozes for like two oh, hours. Really? I'm terrible. Um, and I just it. I guess every day is different. So I spend a day or two each week seems to have, be in London, um, just going to meetings, events and stuff like that. But then on my days at home, which is every day of the week, it's not just weekdays, it's like Saturdays and Sundays as well. Yeah. Um, I write recipes, I test recipes. I'm... I was going to ask about recipes. Like, yeah. How did you get... Because obviously, how did you get started trying to find... You mentioned, and I remember reading about you did, you were talking about crackers and like trying to find like the right texture. Like how do you go about making food, which is really tasty, but gluten-free? It's, it's hard, definitely hard. And it's, like I said earlier, it's, I've started everything with my recipes out of just a place of pure frustration. Like I was just really angry that I couldn't eat stuff and I was missing out on all this stuff. And I've just gradually over time, just sort of developed stuff and developed ways in which I know things that work and then trying to make different things but it's definitely difficult after you've written like five books to come up with any more ideas ideas, do you know what I mean so it's uh yeah it's 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 something I really love doing but it's a pain sometimes and I feel like I have to deal with all the rubbish of oh that recipe failed and it failed again and it failed again and it failed again just so just so that others quite a few attempts oh god yeah to to get it right especially with book recipes like they're the ones that I'll really push and I'll make sure that they're tested in different ovens they're tested with different appliances they're tested with different like if I make a recipe with um like it's got flour in it I'll use a different gluten-free flour just so that it's almost foolproof. I kind of, yeah. my aim is that if I make all the mistakes, I go through a bit of hell um, and some tears and stuff like oh, that, right, yeah. then other people won't have to. Um, what is the process of the book? Does it take, How? I mean, how long does it take? Like um, the first one, how long it take you to, to I write I mean, I, crazily, I had four, my first four books, two of them came out in 2021, two of them came out in 2022, which is crazy, the amount of Did like, you sign up like a five book deal? Like, I've, uh, I signed up for a two book, and then a three book deal. Um, and it's, it's been absolutely crazy. Like the amount yeah. I've had to do. And like, I think for me, I would never do that many books in that short space of time again. But the benefit for me was it was lockdown. Everything was shut. Mm. Um, so I didn't have, there. I had so much time, which also the, the negative of lockdown was that I had so much food that I couldn't give to people. Like I made loads of recipes and like, I just put food on like my parents doorstep and be like, you could, you can have this, this if you want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a long, long old process of like planning, um, then testing and then testing again, then testing again, writing, um, sending it off, like doing photo shoot and everything like that. And then I just, my biggest hate is proofing it. I hate proofreading. Like we have like people. You get someone to do We that do. Now, yeah. We have, yeah. we have <laughs> people right. who proofread it, but then they'll proofread for like, spelling punctuation grammar and stuff yeah. but then i'm just like i read it back sometimes i'm like i've missed out a whole ingredient in this one and you just when you're doing you know 100 recipes in a book and it's sort of i don't know how many like fifty thousand words or something per book you you get tired and you you like my boyfriend proofreads and he's much better at it than i am I, I get really lazy um and then but you know you get a recipe book back and then after a few weeks someone's like oh I found a mistake and you're just no, like oh no, no. <laughs> I've, I've tried so like hard too late now, yeah. yeah so yeah the, the whole process is is really long and then 
all of a sudden it comes out and it's like, oh, it's out now. And then and then you just don't. How oh, really... was that response to the first one? Because obviously it went to like number one on, yeah, the, on Amazon. Like, the, um... the first one was mad because I think obviously there's always been gluten-free cookbooks out there, but my sort of thing was that there hasn't been any gluten-free cookbooks that were super fun. And like, I always think that food should be fun. And our, just because we're gluten-free doesn't mean that we want some sort of medical recipe book that's all white and sort of very like talking about all sort of hospitally and medical things. I wanted it to feel like, oh, we're gluten-free. We can have a recipe book that's just like one that Jamie Oliver would put out or Joe Wicks would put out or just just because we're, we're just normal people. We yeah. want just a nice. So my whole thing was that I wanted it to be colorful. I want it to be fresh. There isn't a single white page in any of my books. They're all multicolored pages and stuff. Um, so I think there was a really good response just because it was different to what had been before and yeah. it was all simple you know like breaking the barriers yeah and, and I, like, I think yeah i think recipe books so often gluten-free ones i bought them or my mum used to buy me some and they were full of salads they're full of soups they were full of boring stuff that you didn't want to eat or weird ingredients like i had a gwyneth paltrow one years ago um and it was full of like weird berries and stuff that at the mm. time you could only buy if you went on amazon and spent a fortune or a health food shop and it's like i just wanted to keep it simple and my recipes are all just super ordinary. I I think of them as ordinary and boring. And I think that's what people want because yeah, people yeah. just want what they couldn't have before. And I think- That's all, like the basics, isn't it? Like the pastas yeah. and like- And the... equally like people didn't, I, I wasn't, I'm not a trained cook in any way. I've just done food tech at school. Um, and people who suddenly are told, oh, they have to go on a gluten-free diet. They didn't necessarily ever want to cook. They might not like cooking very much they just sort of almost forced into it because there aren't the options in the supermarket. So I'm kind of making the book for people like that who don't even really like cooking, but here's some recipes that yeah. you can still have so that you can... They're quite simple and straightforward. Yeah, yeah. so everything's stuff you can buy in the supermarket. Everything's quick. Everything's easy. It's it's cheap to make. I, I just I can't be bothered with... Yeah. I don't want to test recipes that are complicated. All the time. And you got a fifth book coming out. Yeah. Is it this year, yeah. Yeah, so it comes out in at the end of August. What's um, the title for that one? It's Gluten-Free Christmas. Gluten-Free Christmas. So it's ridiculous. I had to yeah. announce it in April and then... Didn't it go to number one on pre-orders? Yeah. That's crazy. Which is mad. It, it, yeah. got, it got thousands of... Does it still surprise you when it... like With that one especially, because I was like, yeah. I'm having to announce it in April. I was really annoyed. Like I said to my publisher, like please can we announce it later because who cares about Christmas just after Easter? Um, but they were like, no, we need to do it now. So I was like, okay. Um, so we did that. And then uh, they were like, oh yeah, it has to come out in August. I'm like, but no one wants to talk about Christmas in August. They're like, yeah, well, it's going to have to. So it's it's a bit of a weird one, um, but hopefully it means that everyone will have their hands on it by the time yeah. December comes. Um, and it is, it's kind of like, you know, all those different big occasions, like, like, christmas it's it's the time where people who are gluten-free kind of struggle the most you know you're in lots of situations around different people's houses yeah, you've got like buffets and, yeah. party food. i'm sure even with like your nuts and stuff like you always forget yeah, like family, exactly. family you always get there and there are, there's like nuts out my mum's like you know he's got a nut yeah, exactly. like, the, the, every year like at least one one family member is yeah. gonna forget and put nuts out and, 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 and like, i'm sure it's, it's a, away, like. and i'm sure it's the same with like even like with party food and stuff like checking that things are not like may contain nuts yeah. and stuff it can be it can be really tricky and it's like this is kind of a book that's a big guide to eating like with family and friends who are gluten like when you're gluten free at christmas and then also all those different situations so your big christmas lunch your party food your like yeah. you know leftovers all, all that stuff it's just a, a nice well hopefully nice yes. no, that's amazing. Stuff. so i haven't seen it yet um there's a 
I think it's just almost finished. Like my first copy is coming to me very soon. So I'm very excited to very see nice, it. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to kind of talk about the double mastectomy and mm -hmm. how you found that. Cause obviously you've been very kind of open about it and kind yeah. of the whole journey. I was like watching the Instagram stories the other night. Can we talk about how you found out about that? Yeah. So yeah, again, that's something I was super open about and something that I really wanted to be open Absolutely, about because yeah, yeah. it's, it's something that when I first was told about like the BRCA gene, I'd never heard of it. Like literally my mum came around one day and was like, I've got something to tell you. And I was like, what? And she was, she was like, we think that there's something called a BRCA gene mutation I would have been in, like, what? in the family. And that? I was like, oh my God. And then she sort of explained it to me. I was like, oh, whatever. Didn't think that I would probably have it. Um, but basically at the time, my cousin who is sort of in, I think she's in her forties now. She'd had um, breast cancer twice when she was in her thirties. Um, and she hadn't been tested at the time, but she probably should have, but she was, I think my mum was pestering to get her to be tested because she read into all this stuff about BRCA, which I didn't know about. Um, and then, so she got tested and it, it translated that she had this thing called the BRCA2 gene, BRCA gene mutation. Um, so as a result of her having it, the, having it, then it could be that her siblings or her parents or whatever, or her kids, they all have a 50% chance of having it as well. So my auntie got tested. Um, and she there was then found to have it. So then because of that, my dad got tested. He was found to have it. And because like basically with genetic testing and stuff, they don't just test anyone. You can't just go, hey, can I be genetically tested for this? It has to be, there has to be a real reason. Through family or yeah, the family history. And, and so once my dad was found to have it, then I could be put forward to, for it. But they do it in a really cool way. Like they make sure that you have, before you have the testing, which it's only a blood test, but they make sure you have genetic counseling, um, and really What's genetic cancer. Yeah, I know it sounds really weird, yeah. but basically they just sort of explain all the, they, they ask you about how you're feeling just about your, I guess about your body and stuff. Um, but also about like the, the situations, like if you do find out that you have this mutation, how will you feel about that and stuff? Because some people might struggle with that quite a lot. So they never actually get tested because you don't have to. Yeah. Um, but I obviously knowing people in my family had had cancer before I kind of it was really important for me to get tested um so yeah I just had this blood test came back that I had the BRCA2 gene mutation basically my whole that side of my family just we all seem to even though it's only supposed to and be and if you got it there's an 88 percent chance of getting so, breast cancer so basically when you once you've um found out that you've got it then you have some sort of consultation with I don't know there's so many different people along the line that you speak to um and everyone is judged and given a percentage differently. So everyone who has the BRCA2 gene mutation, if you're a woman and if you're a man, you have increased risks of certain cancers. Um, and so um, for me, it was an 88% chance that I would get breast cancer in my life. But for other people, so it, it that, might be yeah. like a 60% chance. So mine was incredibly high. Mine was one of the highest that I think they'd ever seen. Um, I don't really know why that was, but it was a load of factors. I don't know if it came from that on my other side of the family, um, my mum's identical twin, she's had breast cancer as well. So that's very close linked to me. So basically there's breast cancer just everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, so family, yeah. I had, um, I had to go through all these sort of, um, like loads of counseling stuff and talking to different surgeons. It was, it was very crazy because it was like, I didn't, I didn't really know what it all meant. And like I said, I'd never really heard of it. And then suddenly I was told that this mutation meant that I would have such a high chance of getting cancer. And they were like, well, there's two options. You can either have 
well, there's three options. You can do nothing. You can have a double mastectomy or you can just be tested every year for like the rest of your life, like just a bit more frequently than and, do, and get tested from a younger age. Because I think once you get to about 40 or 50, women get tested anyway, but I would be tested earlier. Um, but I just thought I don't want to just be tested because I could, I could have always it. be at the back of your mind as well. Yeah, like knowing that you, you could have it. You, or you have a test once a year. And I'm, I'm like, well, I could have the test and then suddenly I could get cancer the next day, but I wouldn't get tested for another year again. So you, you never know that it might, you might just, your test might be at just a really bad time and then you could actually get it anyway. Um, and anyway, like if you did get tested just all the time um, and get scans, it's only going to show you that you've got it and then catch mm. it early and you still have to go through loads of treatment. So I went opted for the double mastectomy, um, which, yeah, it was a mm. very overwhelming kind of thing. And you kind I of mean, think at first- you I was going to say, like, yeah. what, what was your kind of feelings during that moment? It must be quite, quite scary having to you go don't, You that, don't yeah. believe it. You sort of, you say, when they say, oh, what do you think? Uh, do you want to have it done? I'm like, yeah, I do. I do want it done. But then you kind of, they, they don't give you a date. Like it, it was about a year after I said I was going to have it done. I had it done. Um, and you kind of just say, yeah, I'll have it done. But you kind of don't ever imagine. You don't really think about no, it. No, you don't yeah, imagine yeah. that you're going to be waking up from an operation and have no boobs. Like it's just a, it's just something that's, that's sort of in the back of your mind. And I kind of tried to keep it like that and keep it sort of away from my brain and not, not think about mm. it too much. But I felt like it was really important to talk about it on my social media as much as I could, because like I said, I did didn't get, know what it did was. Did you get any peace of mind from like I talking think, about it? And I think people it, I think it made me, yeah, I think it made me feel more comfortable with having it done um, because I was able to talk about it. Other people came forward to me, tons of people came forward and said that they have the, the gene in their family. Um, I also got a lot of, it, it brought with it a lot of people being very, very open about their circumstances in terms of not being allowed to be tested but they've got loads of cancer in their family and giving me quite upsetting sort of things like telling me about things that weren't really to do with me but they just wanted to talk about cancer yeah and so there was there was a lot I had to take on quite a lot again I imagine yeah it's like scaremongers that like yeah. where people share so much yeah and, and it's it, like well this isn't actually going to help no, my my headspace no and, yeah. and that that was that was quite hard because I really heard some awful things that people you know they don't realize that telling me about how their mum has um, died from brain cancer and they're worried about this and what about this and what about that you know all these things they don't it doesn't help me and it doesn't help well it might help them I guess to get it off their chest but it, it wasn't really useful so that was quite tricky but um yeah it was just it was just it just felt like the right thing to do because it wasn't something that's openly that talked about I know Angelina Jolie has the same oh, really? gene as me. So it's always like some people call it the Angelina Jolie gene because like she, Famous, huh? yeah. So, cause I think she's had a double mastectomy as a result as well. Um, so there has been a little bit of chat about it and you can find that online, but not much and not from just a real person. Like obviously she's a real person, but yeah. she's, she's super famous and you can't relate to her. So I wanted to just share my story um, for myself and then for other people as well. And I've, I found a lot of people have since, um, cause I did it, I've done loads of videos about it on YouTube. Like I, when I had the double mastectomy on the day, I filmed it all. I filmed my scars. I filmed a lot of stuff and I've had so many people message me like, 
you know, I've, I've recently had a double mastectomy um, and I watched your videos back and it really helped me to just feel, or oh, I'm having one in two weeks time. And like, they, they're really scared about it, but your videos have made me feel a bit better. So it's been quite rewarding, I guess, to talk about it. And I feel like, you know, if I'm going through such rubbish where now I don't have any boobs and I've ha I've got scars for the rest of my life and all this, then I, sh then I should be able to just talk about yeah. it and do whatever I want. I feel like, you know, but equally, I, I also just feel massively fortunate, I guess, that I actually did find out. I was going to say, I obviously you found out for, was it your dad? Yeah. 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 So I found out and because of that, like I was able to make preventative choices mm. and there's so many people out there who, you know, maybe have had the gene and have died from breast How cancer. How long did it take to recover once you had the operation? Oh, um, it should have been longer, but yeah. I'm, uh, I was terrible. I was out doing cooking demos again in, after oh a month. It, terrible. They they told me I shouldn't, but I, I had so many, because I had my book coming out a month, two, no, about three months later, I yeah, started yeah. wanting, and it was getting towards the summer. I wanted to do all the, the cooking, like yeah. those food shows and stuff. And I didn't want to give up on any of them. If it was like this year, I think I've grown up a little bit now and I realized I shouldn't probably have done that because, you know, when I've, first got out of surgery and everything I couldn't I couldn't move for weeks and I, I had like I've still got scars where I had drains in both my sides where mm. like um I, I just had to go to bed every night with these two um bottles of like blood or I don't know what it was gungy oh stuff God. and you had to like lie and I couldn't lie anything but on my back for weeks and you kind of yeah it was awful I was really really sick after the anesthetic because it was such a long anesthetic and yeah. yeah and I'm not a big person I guess so yeah, it, it was a it was a crazy sort of recovery, and I still now I don't have as much strength in my body. I, I don't really I don't exercise at all anymore after my eating disorder. I just gave up basically. But when I'm doing stuff like lifting things and stuff, I'm like, oh my god, I'm so I feel Aching, so yeah. I feel so weak yeah. and pathetic, especially because I used to be quite strong. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's been a whole sort of crazy thing, and it's like with the whole. BRCA kind of journey it kind of goes on a little bit from here mm. so I've got to have other things done in the future um because I know I know you spoke about if you've got like kids as well like is yeah. it from 18 on they would have to have like tests they have to have year, tests yeah. at that point so I don't think I don't think they're allowed essentially to have tests before that because they need to make that own, their own choice about it oh, okay. um so like I guess with my cousin's kids and stuff they'll at some point be able to have that that decision um, but they're too young at the moment. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's just a bit of a crazy sort of thing, and I'm I'm just grateful that I found out about it and that yeah. I've got to make my own decision. And you know, I've I've got like I've gone from having like a an eighty eight percent chance, I think, to a two percent chance because obviously they can't get rid of every single piece of tissue. Yeah. But like women in the UK, I think, have a twelve percent chance. So I'm That's I'm a, I'm yeah, pretty much guaranteed more, yeah, yeah. that I don't won't have it. That's yeah. mad, yeah. I was gonna ask, I really wanted to touch upon um earlier, but I didn't get a chance. Like yeah. how you met your your husband Mark. Mark. Yeah, yeah. I thought I said it, his name wrong. No, it's because you said husband, he's not my husband. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. This is every honestly, I think because we've been together so long, everyone thinks he's my husband. Oh, really? But he's we've been together 14 years. Wow. Um and he still hasn't asked me. So I yeah. would be happy. To, I would have to. I, 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 this whip him in shape. I, 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 yeah. I pester quite a lot. Yeah. I, that's probably why he's just decided no. Um, but yeah, so we met 
in 2009, we were just... At uni? Uh, no. no. So he's um, three and a half years older than me. Um, but we were just out one night. So I was still at sixth form at the time. Um, and it was a Thursday night, which was the night that we went out in in Colchester where we lived. Um, and we just met at about 2 a.m. in a bar. The bar was called the Dirty Penguin. The Dirty Penguin. The Dirty, Dirty Penguin. So it's not, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but we met, I don't remember anything. I just, I vaguely remember sitting down. I was with my friend and he was there with his friend and we just started talking very drunkenly. I think we got a taxi back dropping us all off um, to different houses and stuff. Um, and I said goodbye and I don't even remember giving him my number, but then he texted me and it sort of just went from there. So it was, yeah. it was a crazy sort of was like- you, Was your friends first or did you date straight away? Um, we pretty much, we, it was pretty much dating straight away. It was more like we didn't speak too much. Like he kept messaging me um, on and off and I just didn't really reply. And then, yeah. And then eventually we went out again um, on an, it was always, we always went out on a night out where alcohol was involved and it was just like a lot of fun. Um, And then, yeah, just randomly, just before I started going to uni in Manchester, then we suddenly decided, oh yeah, let's make this more of a thing which was a really stupid time to do it because then I was moving 250 miles yeah. away. Um, and I think that's probably one of the other reasons why uni didn't really go to plan worked, for me yeah. because I, he was coming up every so often, but there's only so many times you can go from Essex to Manchester. Yeah, it's quite far. So yeah, um, so yeah it's been a... So he's been like your rock for yeah, this, this whole time. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like he's been there when I had my eating disorder. We sort of stopped seeing each other quite as much for a little bit just because... I was just a nasty person because that's what an eating disorder does. It just makes you like crazy. Um, but he was always still, still checking in on me and making sure I was okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's well, been the whole time. What does he think about the whole, like how Becky gets set out, it's just exploded now? Like, well, with... it's his full-time job as well. So oh, really? yeah. So he wouldn't, he never likes to kind of admit it, but we both, he, he was just doing other things on the side whilst I was sort of building this up. And then, over the last couple of years or so, especially since the books have come out, it's just become, it's not manageable for me on my own. Like I can't yeah. do it all. So, you know, like today I'm in London, he's probably at home doing some work yeah. and stuff. And it's like, it's not, we never really think of it like he's working for me. It's like, we're, we're just a real team like a where team, yeah. I do all the cooking and all the social media and stuff. He like looks after the website um, and does, he's more of a tech person kind of person yeah. he's really tech savvy so if I've got problems he sorts them out um and so yeah we we just both work together on it so he thinks it's crazy because we never we got together and now we both work together together yeah. and we make our money from just ourselves like there's no one else it's it's it's, it's a mad it's it's really mad when you sometimes just sit back does it feel mad that you're doing your passion like every day Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's just you exa- have like your ups and downs. Because, it's it's just yeah. exhausting. Yeah. So some days it's just really cool, and especially when I'm out and about and seeing other people and at events and stuff, like going to the awards this evening. That's going to be really fun. I'm so excited! I'm it's my first time yeah, at the free from food awards. Yeah, so, it's so yeah. it's going to be so exciting and stuff like that. And being able to do things like that has been really really cool. And like I was at the Fortnum and Mason Awards a few weeks ago, um, and I got to meet like Mary Berry and Stanley Tucci and all these cool people. And it's yeah, just like I saw the pictures. Yeah, it's like, like is this incredible. my life? Like it feels mad, um, but 
yes yeah, it's, it's doesn't nigella talk about you like yeah she promoted the book as well. yeah so nigella follows me and she's uh she's made some of my recipes and she's always really like on twitter people often ask her hey nigella um what is can you make this gluten-free and stuff and she goes oh no i i don't know how to but becky will and yeah. she always tags me i'm just like it's, it's surreal so, so yeah, she's amazing. the one person that i haven't met yet of all those sort of mm. famous chef cook people food personalities um and she's have the you one. seen the videos of munya where he takes the piss out of nigella no and the, like the voice oh no i haven't he's, but he's amazing like, yeah he's i was what i was watching one of his videos the other day actually i don't know what it was on but he is he's actually hilarious he does nigella videos like all the time i need like, to what yeah. i need to uh, no, yeah it, this is so funny i don't know if she'd ever listen to this uh, podcast I, but she, yeah it, i this, bet i bet she would actually find them really funny herself because yeah. she's so light-hearted and cool so uh yeah because i think she said like mike oh the microwave thing <laughs> microwave yeah and he like says that in the video and um he's, it's funny how he kind of does her whole he can, well he can just do anything yeah he's, 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 he's hilarious <laughs> anyway honestly it's been a pleasure yeah, having you on great. the podcast becky i've really enjoyed it and it's great to kind of open i think we've opened up on so many topics I, yeah well like we were saying like for me um yes what we do like with you with your allergy stuff and me with the gluten-free stuff we that's what people kind of know us for mm. but we are so much more than that yeah. there's you know people are there's so much more to delve into with people and i think it's really important and something that i've always really wanted to do is just get it out there about yeah me it's one of the main reasons i did the podcast because yeah. like when i used to like, listen to other podcasts like i always thought there was quite medical and clinical and i was yeah. like i just don't resonate with that and like yeah. i actually just want to get just gets to a bit boring person. and yeah. dry after a while and, yeah you, you know want personal stories you don't want everybody knows the story of like how you got yeah you, you that, don't yeah. need to say to me okay so becky what is gluten yeah like what is what is the point of that and you know someone could look in the dictionary but knowing a bit about i, I, I guess we as humans we're all just nosy yeah. And we just want to know a little bit more about each other. And I think that's that's really cool. So. That's amazing. If anyone wants to kind of follow your journey, would you like to share your kind of social handles? And yeah, website? so um, all my social handles are just at BeckyXL. Um, and I've got a blog called glutenfreecupofteacouk Yeah. Um, and all my books are just on Amazon. So if you want to check them yeah. out. But uh, yeah. Amazing. I'll make sure to link that in the description. But yeah, Fab. honestly. But yeah, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.